Hello and welcome to Pale Reflections, a proud member of the Doof Network, where we reflect on Wildbo's most self-aware work as it releases. I'm Ruben Morehouse. And I'm Elliot Diebold. And we are back from being away. I think I said that last time. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm almost positive you made the same joke last <laughs> I'm going to say it every single time. Uh, we're, <laughs> we're back to talk about Back Away 5.1, uh, 5.2, the bonus with Faye and Goblo, and uh, some predictions and stuff. Um, Let's start with 5.1, shall we? Which is, is yes. from Lucy's perspective. Lucy and Verona are back in Kennet, uh, planning out their approach on how to deal with the, you know, the three weirdos. Uh, and Verona is reminiscing about the good old days. Uh, yeah, I mean, after uh, like we've sort of had a week away from the Kenneteers, so I feel like the opening of this chapter is is trying to do a lot to get us immediately back into their headspace. And um, I mean, it's not good. Mm. Um, yeah, Verona's, I guess, trains of thought over this chapter and next chapter are quite worrying. Like, if I was watching The Walking Dead, I'd be worried that Verona was about to get eaten by a zombie, basically, um, because it's, <laughs> she's throwing out some death signals pretty hard. And obviously, I don't think Verona's going to die, but that kind of indicates that the, um, is Verona going to become an other stuff is starting to come to a head a lot more overtly. Yeah, I, I think we'll obviously dive into where she's at a lot in the next chapter, because that's from her point of view. Um, yeah. But yeah, there's obviously sort of big fucking alarm bells that get set off in your head when you start reading this part of 5.1. And it, it, like as well as you said, it just makes sense because her dad, all the stuff going on with her dad, like, of course, her feelings about all this stuff would be coming to a head in these circumstances. Like, it, mm. it, it's very believable that something's going to snap or something just because, you know, just because of the circumstances and everything going on. She's been pulled away from the school. The, the dad stuff's getting worse. Um, mm. Yeah. Like I, I, I was just, I, I had the same feeling. I was just like, it just feels like we're about to head for um, some big transformation in, in everyone's relationship to Verona. Yeah, definitely. Um yeah, I, I guess the the stuff we're talking about here is how Verona kind of finally starts to do her version of letting Lucy in on what's been going on with her. Um, and, of course, the way she does it isn't by saying she basically wants to not be human anymore, but that she uh, she asks Lucy what it would be like if Verona was her cat. <laughs> um, yeah, and- she's, she's just sort of gently introducing it as an idea. Yeah. Yeah, like, and just it, like oh, hey, how how wacky would it be if I was just like a cat most of the time, right? Yeah, no, it's basically like Verona says, "Hey, how wacky would it be if I was a cat most of the time?" And Lucy says, "Well, that'd be pretty wacky." Verona would be like, "Hey, how dare you?" Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> she just sort of te- tries to test the waters and uh, yeah. pulls her toe out very quickly when when they turn out to be cold. Yeah, I mean, I don't know what she was hoping Lucy would say, like, mm, yeah, I'd love for you to just be a cat that I couldn't talk with but still had around all the time. <laughs> I, I don't know. Anyway, um, yeah, Lucy doesn't quite cotton on to what she's doing and then she starts to realise that this is obviously quite serious for Verona and um, and then Verona changes the topic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, and I mean, I because we're obviously seeing this from Lucy's perspective, it, it, it's kind of fun because... Verona starts to bring this up and I think we as the readers like oh shit like this is this is that conversation like starting 
Uh, mm. And Lucy just kind of doesn't sort of treat it seriously because she's got her own stuff. Like she, on her level, she's sitting here complaining about like how they're sitting on the sidelines and that, you know, that's not something she likes to do. Mm. So she's kind of freaking out on her own thing and just she, like, I, I kind of get the impression she thought Verona was trying to distract her. Mm. Um, So she was like treating it lightheartedly. And then, yeah, she sort of realizes Verona is being serious and, this plants this seed of a thought that we're going to sort of track throughout the chapter yeah um yeah yeah we'll 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 get to some of that stuff i suppose um so yeah lucy realizes that verona's being serious uh kind of reassures her a bit by by talking about the person that verona is going to grow into and uh how much lucy wants to meet that person um and then verona kind of clunkily changes the topic to (laughs) what lucy's going to be when she grows up yeah Uh, i mean it just hurts so bad to see Verona sort of, you know, t- try to put it out there or mm. do the little reaching out and then just immediately pull back and mm. and and divert and like try to make Lucy forget that this sort of ever happened. Yeah. Um, it, like, yeah, I don't know. I was going to say, like, originally when I read this, oh, this makes these conversations harder to have in the future because Verona won't want to raise suspicion, but that cat yeah. is, is kind of already out of the bag uh, yeah. by the end of this chapter. Uh, yeah, for sure. I think it's pretty clear by the end of the chapter that Lucy is quite worried about Verona. <laughs> yeah, for the right reasons. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, it, it, it isn't resolved, right? Like, Verona Absolutely. tiptoes over but doesn't actually get any kind of resolution from Lucy. She just kind of, you're right, backs down. Um, yeah, and because as you sort of already touched on, like, what sucks about this is Lucy's response is, like, oh, that would be awful because I'm so excited to see the person you grow up into being. And that mm. that's actually the, the part of the response where Verona pivots out of the conversation. Like, uh, Verona is unwilling to do that like, like unwilling to sort mm. of try and analyze the person she might grow up in, to be and we'll get to talk about that especially uh next chapter yeah <laughs> yeah we'll get there um yeah you're right it's just verona doesn't want to engage there yeah well and it's extra tragic because like verona's coming at this from such a selfless place like she really just doesn't want to let lucy down she wants to make sure lucy's okay like, you know, as soon as she can determine that it's not going to hurt Lucy and Avery um, for her to turn into a cat or an other or whatever, like, I think she'll, like, you know, really start to do it. Mm. But it's just like the, like the only thing holding her in at the moment is Lucy and, and probably Avery. Um, mm. So it's just kind of like, it's so rough seeing her have this conversation where she's basically kind of in a way being wholesome because she's just wanting to make sure things are going to be okay for lucy but then also because she's trying to take care of herself like it's so yeah i don't know it's it's yeah it's heartbreaking Mm. yeah um i guess while we're talking about uh the future of the trio we also do hit the beat here of avery finding a partner or potentially multiple partners um (laughs) she is athletic (laughs) um yeah, I just I kind of wanted to touch on this quickly because it feels like this is something that that has kind of been simmering unresolved for a while. The Avery kind of needing somebody to help her put her feelings about herself in check to an extent. Um, 
I, I don't know. I, the the whole like Avery not having any love candidates kind of thing. I feel like we, I feel like this is something that will hopefully be resolved by the end of the story, or it should. I I want it to be resolved by the end of the story. I think if <laughs> if Wabo doesn't resolve this, of all the cruel things he's done to these characters, this will be the cruelest. Yeah, I, I think I've argued in the past for an a like a, a, an Avery resolution being her becoming comfortable enough with herself that she doesn't need a relationship right now. Mm. Um, but yeah, that that would still be a resolution, as you sort of say. Like we had it set up by uh, Marissica in Arc Two that there is no one for Avery. Um, but I don't know if that included the school. Maybe there's some eligible bachelorette uh, hanging out at the Blue Heron Institute we just haven't run into yet. Mm. Yeah, it could be. I I don't know. We we don't really have an answer to that, right? I I'm suspicious. I don't know. It just feels like the kind of thing that I mean, it's it's as we as we identify what the kind of areas of personal development for each of these characters are that we think they're going to, you know, tackle or resolve by the end of the story. I think Avery's one is her not fully feeling comfortable with who she is until she has some kind of validation from a partner, right? And so I feel like that's yeah. we we're reintroducing that concept here. I think we're probably going to, as a result, see some movement on that. I don't know. Not necessarily soon, but before the end of the story, you would hope. Yeah. Yeah, I, I'd agree with that. Um, yeah, I mean, you never know. Like, we haven't seen much from Avery yet this arc, but um, it seems like Lucy and Verona are both going to be confronting some pretty hard stuff this arc, so maybe Avery will be getting in on that soon enough. Mm. yeah um so yeah the the two are kind of worrying about avery as they talk about her because they realize she's been gone a while then they realize they can't get in touch with her at all and start to really worry uh and then they are attacked but it turns out to just be the goblins i i love the fact that this time field is making phones not work like Mm -hmm. I, i didn't really click on this last week but you know like like I think we talked about this on Media MD when we watched the X Files, but like old X Files episodes just don't work in a world with mobile phones. Like so many mm. of the episodes are kind of based on the fact that you can't communicate with people once they're out of yelling range. Mm. Um and and it feels really like some of them fall flat now in, in like the twenty first century because you're sort of watching this and it's like, well just call them. Mm. Um and and so like I, I I have noticed like lots of shows do stuff to try and take phones out of the equation in situations like this, and this is a particularly fun one, like because the the phone's not working is almost just a side effect of the actual problem this watch is causing. But mm. I think in a way it's going to be the the biggest problem because they they are having to split up and not be able to communicate. Mm. Yeah, um, yeah. It's it's a classic uh, I guess horror trope of. Oh, my phone doesn't have battery or signal, or yeah, yeah, it, yeah. It's always it's always fun to do that in in a horror sort of thing, and this is a particularly good one because mm. especially because it lets people like Sharon still have hers, which I find mm. hilarious. <laughs> yes. Uh, um. So yeah, the goblins attack. Uh, maybe we'll touch on this again in a bit, but <laughs> they. It's just. It's strange how much this seems like an attack. And the kind of loose explanation they give is, oh, we wanted to make sure you're on your toes, basically. Um, but I don't know. The it, explanation is basically like, ha-ha, gotcha. G- gotcha. Really. Yeah. 
yeah, I don't know. I'm just suspicious that it's so um, aggressive, I guess. Like, Verona and Lucy go to full battle stations for a bit here, right? Yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, they do. Like, I, I don't know. Did we ever sort of talk about it feels very symbolic that Kenneth has, like, added a whole bunch of others to its repertoire in the last month, and they're all goblins? Mm. Like, the number of goblins in the town has doubled tripled um Mm. i haven't been keeping close enough track of my newcomers but like i I feel like that's saying a lot about the the vibe of the town as a whole when you know you're adding an extra 50 percent of your total other population and they're all more goblins Mm. yeah you're right it's it's really goblining up isn't it yeah, and I'm sure this is like sort of all Carmine Beast related stuff, like the the town, you know, like Sharon talked about it in her bit, like to her or to Innocence, this sort of maps to like increased petty crime rates and stuff. And so, that, you know, that, that's been caused by the Carmine Beast and we're sort of seeing that manifest in the, the roster of others as extra goblins. Yeah, I mean, it's not necessarily unintentional though. Uh, we, we get some hints that Total at least is involved with what's going on. So potentially... An increase in goblins is, I don't know, part of his bargaining. Yeah, well, it's a sort of thing where it, 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 it's like this is the thing with the other verse. It's like it's both. Like it's mm. there's these in-universe explanations for why more goblins are showing up, and it totally makes mm. sense with all the Carmine B stuff. But then you also think, well, but also is someone in the story doing this on purpose? Mm. Like, is is Toad Solo bringing in more goblins because as the leader of them um like that sort of gives him a bit more pull in town i'd imagine mm. yeah i i wonder if that's um if that's actually going on it's hard to yeah you're right it could be either could be um could be unintentional could be intentional i let's let's while we're talking about what's going on with the Carmo beast um uh, we saw in the first of the interlude chapters Carmine beast for in a car um, and we now find out Toad Solo is saying Matthew and Edith were going to try and intercept them, and then you know it went bad, and Toad Solo can't say why. Uh, I mean, like <laughs> this is the closest we've come to proof of oh, it's these people. Like this is the most overt proof we've we've had so far, right? I, I mean. There's like a thing when Matthew and Edith sort of come back, they talk about how they were trying to come at them from behind. or, or so it, It's so vague that at a surface read, I was like, oh, that doesn't sound like the car that, you know, popped tires next to Clem and stuff. Yeah. But it doesn't rule it out. And like the whole thing is is very sus. Like I would vote imposter. Oh, yeah, in, for sure. In, in this situation. Uh, I yeah i yeah i I don't know it 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 is extremely suspect that matthew and edith like oh we were driving around had car trouble had to come around another way like i don't know Uh, but i guess the kennedys don't know that the carmine beast stuff was in there so this is if this is a big clue it's a clue that's only working for us for the audience yeah we'd need clementine to be like hey there's that car with all the red fur in it or something for (laughs) it to to come to the kennedys maybe she'll say that who knows doesn't seem likely though does it but yeah i like this is this clearly kind of implicates if true uh matthew and edith and toad solo as being part of the crew that 
you know, is dealing with the fallout of the Carmine Beast without telling the Kenneteers. So not necessarily murder, but at least they're involved in cleanup, which isn't great, right? Well, I mean, yeah. Uh, do we know? Wait, Toad Solo is very, like, bitter about this because he's sort of like, he's sort of like, oh, I was told not to say, so, you know, you have my apologies. Like, like he makes this big deal out of it in a way that is, like, meant to draw your attention to the fact that Edith and Matthew told him not to say. Like, he's, there. if he's genuinely not, like, on their side, so if he's genuinely on their side or whatever, there's probably a better way he could have answered this question. Mm. So I don't know if he is a culprit so much as either they have him under their thumb or he thinks it's something else, but, you know, they like, or they misled him as well, and he's just, like, bitter about that and doesn't realise that that's what this is. Mm. Yeah. I don't know why I'm defending Toad Swallow. Like, he's he's a little asshole. <laughs> no, he's but... a champion. Um <laughs> Yeah, uh, there's this other thing, uh, just as a quick point, we learn about Nat, who is, uh, it's Snatch Ragged, is that right? Um, yes. Whose tongue has been, like, completely deformed. And I just had this interesting thought, as she was attempting to talk, what basically happens is she makes these, like, gurgling noises, and Verona is more or less able to translate. Do you think this is, because, I wonder, is Nat able to lie when she's not understood is uh, is that a quirk of the system because can the spirits understand it like is verona's translation taking on the responsibility of being correct or is it nat's you know gurgled information i i always sort of read it as the spirits kind of go off your intent Mm. and and like that even tracks with something like snowdrop Snowdrop, she From her perspective, she's sort of saying what she intends, and then the spirits are like vetting it and flipping it around for everyone else on the way. Um, mm. Whereas, yeah, like I'm just trying to think of like the ways people have kind of lied by just going through the letter of the law. Like, it, it, yeah, I don't know. It seems to be intent based. So as long as Nat is trying to express things that are true, I think it's fine. Mm. Um, if people misunderstand them, then it's their own fault, I guess. Mm. Fair enough. Um, yeah, okay. I'm just kind of, I'm now we're getting back into Kenneth. I guess I'm on the prowl for, uh, mystery clues. Yeah. Yeah. We'll sort of get to some stuff at the end of this chapter that makes me feel like I'm paranoid. <laughs> mm. All right. We'll see. Um, okay. So yeah, Matthew and Edith come along and the gang kind of starts to put together the scope of what they're dealing with. Uh, things are going bad, uh, all over the place. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, what's this read? Oh, sorry, what's your read on this moment where Matthew and Edith? There's this bit where like Verona's like, "Do you think this is all our fault that this stuff mm. is happening?" And Lucy notices that they sort of have that hurt look that Verona had before, uh, and then Verona points out they hesitate before saying like, "No, it's not your fault." Mm. I guess just you know, Bristow is from the school, and so there's probably a bit of concern that something that happened at the school has triggered this. That would be my guess. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah, like, I guess the... Because, you know, we're constantly seeing from Verona and Lucy's perspective, they don't trust these two, and maybe that goes both ways. Like, mm. it just feels like everyone kind of should be on the same page, and they just can't mm. get there. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, guess, I suppose so. Um, okay, cool. Uh, yeah, I, I, I think they... I think... The trio as a whole were kind of underestimating this 
threat, right? Like they, maybe we as the audience were too, they kind of saw the dossiers and were like, oh, these are just people, you know, we can, we can take care of just regular people. But obviously these three are starting to have some pretty major ramifications for the town, right? Uh, yes. Yeah. I mean, this has all gone to, I, I think we as readers with like another arc ending on and, and this arc starting on these aware, I was sort of like, oh, okay, this is going to be a thing. Mm. Um, but I guess the Kenneteers don't realize that this is the start of a new arc. Mm. Um, yeah, like it, it has just all gone to shit so fast and so efficiently. <laughs> mm. um, I, I think we'll talk about that a lot at the end of 5.2 because Verona and Matthew start to talk about it. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. It, <laughs> yeah, I guess we'll, we'll talk about that a bit more later, but it's just, it's gone so badly so quickly. And I, I guess I just didn't expect it to go to be this, I don't know, this damaging. Yeah, well, I, I this is already starting to feel like one of those fights where even after they win, like, whatever that looks like, like they're not getting out of this without heavy damages um, and, and problems like, in the aftermath. Mm. Yeah, no, I think so. Um. Actually, I'll, uh, sorry, I just noticed the Charles part. I would save the Charles part for later because he comes up again. Cool. Uh, we'll talk. We'll talk about Charles in a bit. Talk about Charles later. Um, so yeah, the the group drive off to start dealing with these issues. Uh, very quickly, running into Avery as they go. I love the way Avery just sort of teleports into the truck. It's <laughs> it's the coolest shit. Like we're going to talk about Verona's cool stunts in a in a sec, but I just love how awesome these three have become. Mm. Mm. Yeah, they they're really getting pretty cool, aren't they? <laughs> Speaking of cool, we see Snowdrop's latest shirt, which is Rabies Vector. Nah, humble trash inspector, which I think is my <laughs> favorite of all. And I again just really want it as a shirt, Wildbo. So you know, make that happen. <laughs> yeah, I wonder if Snowdrop dot com is taken. It probably is. Mm. Anyway, um, yeah, I, it's interesting how, so Avery sort of tries to catch the gang up on what went down between her and Clem uh, as they're in this truck, which, like, as a side note, good thing she managed to find the truck. Um, mm-hmm. But so Snowdrop also starts reporting on some stuff and Avery kind of defaults to just translating for Snowdrop and Snowdrop doesn't seem particularly impressed by this. Like, yeah. I don't know, I feel like that this was something we started to talk about in Arc 4, the, the sort of relationship between these two and how everyone else is kind of affecting it. Um, and like what I couldn't help but notice is like Avery is doing this translation, but everyone in this car, I'm pretty sure, is aware of Snowdrop's thing. Like it's not necessary, maybe. It's kind of convenient, especially like in a high pressure situation to just make sure everyone's on the same page. Like I can see the mm. reasoning, but I can also see why Snowdrop would find it frustrating as hell. Mm. Yeah, I wonder, you're right. You would think that Snowdrop would be used to this being a kind of, you know, necessity to an extent of of, of the way they operate, um, which makes it a little weird that she is so upset by it. Do well, I don't th- think Avery does this, this that often. Like, sometimes she translates when people are a bit confused, but, like, you know, when the three Kenneteers were talking to her at the Blue Heron Institute, and they're like, nobody translates what she's saying except for a few times where lucy's like i don't 
what are you saying? My head hurts. Mm. Um, whereas it's just like in this high pressure situation, it kind of feels like a bit of a devaluing of Snowdrop that she like now she needs an interpreter because we can't afford this stuff. And it's like I get yeah, I see it from Avery's side. I see it from Snowdrop's side. Like it's just a bit of a mess. Mm. Mm. Yeah. I don't know. I, 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 I didn't read into it that much when I read it. But you're right that maybe it feels like a feels like a degradation of their working relationship, I suppose. Yeah, well it, it just makes it feel like Snowdrop is less lesser i I guess because you know like she needs like it's like oh well when this stuff is happening like avery or someone needs to be around to to, translate for her yeah yeah like you know she's not on the same level Mm. Mm. interesting yeah maybe that's how she's taken i i guess we'll have to see i I don't it doesn't feel super maybe i'm making a, a mountain out of a molehill yeah but i could also see snowdrop making the same mountain out of that molehill you know so maybe you're right. Yeah, yeah. I guess I guess we'll find out. Um, yeah, uh, I I also want to point out something that kind of coalesced as I was reading these two chapters. Just with like these three are being so effective, and it almost seems like it's just by chance that it's all working out, right? And I'm kind of uncertain whether that is chance, and it's like the universe being by default on the side of the unawakened here because they are you know, they're non-practitioners, or if it's more intentional than that. And Verona seems to think that it's a bit more intentional next chapter. But I'm I'm curious to to see what you kind of felt this this at this point. Yeah. Um because well, definitely I, I think I had more thoughts on this after Verona and Matt talked it out, but it definitely this is where you really start to be like, okay, things are going wrong so perfectly. Yeah, that this is where I started to buy. Maybe there there is something else going on here, and I still feel like I'm not sure. It could kind of go either way, but there's definitely enough evidence for me to not feel too crazy thinking that something else is at work here. Mm. Mm. Yeah, I agree. I it's just it's going too perfectly for the trio, right? For the the tenants. Yeah, especially considering they're not even really trying. Yes. Like, Clementine is actively on team. Let's just leave this fuckhole. Uh, Daniel is not actually even really doing the mission he was assigned. He's just fucking with the fairy. Mm. Um, Sharon, as much as you can ascribe intent to anything she does, I suppose there's some there, but like she doesn't know what she's doing. She's just kind of doing her thing and accidentally fucking shit up for everyone else. You know, like she mm. doesn't know what she's doing yeah so it doesn't this isn't like some cutthroat crew of three people who are intentionally systemically destroying the town it's just three people who aren't even really trying to do much at all except for daniel daniel does sort of say in this that he wants to bring the town down but yeah like yeah and at least he's kind of actively taking a stance on what he's trying to do whereas sharon's not sharon's thing isn't really I don't know. I, I guess it kind of is. It just more feels like she's just kind of incidentally there and fucking shit up. Yeah, exactly. She's trying to do her thing and she doesn't actually realize what it's doing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, so the team split up to to take one person each, of course, and, and Lucy goes to the Fae Cave, or Fave as we call it. Um, and <laughs> <laughs> And obviously we've kind of seen this from the other side to an extent, but we get a bit of Lucy's 
perspective on it, which is good. Good, good kind of setting of of what it actually looked like from outside of Daniel's weirdly warped, possibly uh, brain. Yeah, well, we see the lead up uh, to Lucy actually showing up. Um, mm. But can we talk about the decision for who should tackle who? Because mm. I think about this, there's some stuff to talk about there. Like Avery going after Clem just sort of made sense to me. That was one where I was like, okay, yeah, like they have a bit of a rapport. I actually think Avery might be able to get Clem on side just by being yeah. nice and connecting with her. Yeah. So I'm ready to eat those words, but um, <laughs> this feels like the pairing of Avery's the most likely one to try resolving it just by having a chat, mm. uh, and Clem is the one who that is actually probably possible with. Mm. So fin- fingers crossed for that actually just going well. Yeah. It's not yeah. It's not going to. What am I talking about? <laughs> I mean, no it might. It does. Hopefully. <laughs> we'll have to see. Um. But yeah, then there's this interesting part where they're trying to figure out uh, out of Lucy and Verona who should go after Sharon and, and who goes after Daniel. Um, and Verona obviously suggests she go after Sharon just because, like, like begrudge- begrudgingly, it's just like you could maybe handle Sharon, but like it's just so much extra effort to deal with like her racist bullshit. Um, mm. And then there's this sort of afterthought of Verona being like, oh, and also maybe I'll get sucked into Daniel's stuff. And I, I just love that because that's almost the afterthought for the reason who, who should go after who. But I actually think that ended up being the most important decision because like, this is what Lucy clicks into. Like, Lucy's mm-hmm. like, oh, thank God Verona's not here. Mm. Uh, and and this is what leads her to connect the thoughts about Verona. Uh, so... Yeah, it, it's crazy. It, it's crazy to me that that ended up making more sense than not sending like Lucy to have to deal with like the openly racist person. <laughs> yeah, I was um, I was quite impressed. Uh, you know, we kind of made a weak stab at how the three tenants would tie to our three Kenneteers, uh back, you know, in arc four, right? Um, and I was very impressed by how Walbo proved that there was a lot of thought going into this because of course the the Kennetiers and the tenants aren't a one-to-one match with each other but they are kind of reflections the tenants are reflections of the exact kind of interpersonal problems specifically surrounding Verona for most of it that that are kind of happening right now and I think that's a really like it's really clever how well these have been tied together yeah yeah absolutely um yeah um so yeah, uh, well, actually, okay. I want to, again, not sure what's going on here, but this I think is worth discussion. As Lucy's heading to the fairy cave, there's there's like a couple, like uh, people who are just out there and they tell her, well, they say, be careful out here, a voice cut through the dark. Watch your step. And these are not people that were in Daniel's little group. These are just kind of other people that are here. And Lucy doesn't, you know, notice anything off about them. What do you think, Elliot? This has to be something, right? I have to admit, the first time I was reading it and these people spoke up, I was like, who are these people? What are they doing here? Um, but after finishing the chapter and reading it a second time, I think they're just people walking their dog in the park. Like, I don't... I don't know that we need to be jumping down people's throats for walking their dog on a nice afternoon. Mm. Mm. this is one of those moments where i was like oh this story is making me paranoid because i just started mentally disassembling two people walking their dog uh along the creek in town i don't know 
They seem suspicious to me. I mean, well, do you have any theories? No, I Who don't. Are they? <laughs> they just seem <laughs> sus. <laughs> they just seem suspicious. We'll see. Maybe we'll get some theories in the comments or something. But I think there's something up with them. Um, yeah, we, we get to see Daniel's shenanigans from an outside perspective. And I think Lucy bumps into uh, the people that were, you know, with Daniel, Daniel's little posse, and they seem to be doing okay. They don't seem to be too permanently affected, hopefully. Yeah, I mean, the the young girl uh, seems kind of scarred, um, but I also kind of got the impression from the way everyone was treating it that she might just leave it behind her mm. as she grows up. I don't know. Mm. I mean, Daniel, doesn't Daniel later on sort of say he has an eye for talents? And, and and stuff so like i'm worried that this girl might be sort of permanently broken because maybe she actually just had like you know a bright future in front of her so i hope that's still the case yeah i wonder i wonder if this is like enough to make her a, a kind of semi-awakened kind of thing of her own as well yeah i mean i guess we'll see mm. um but yeah, so we then see Lucy getting ready to jump into the conflict, unable to keep the thoughts of Verona in comparison to Daniel out of her head. Yeah, uh, and we also get her seeing, and it's later touched on by Marcy as well, uh, that Guillaume only has his two adventure, well, one adventure left now. Mm. Um, and Marisica even refers to his sole remaining adventure as his mystery. Mm -hmm. Um which I wonder, like, I wonder what that is. That's a fun little tease for us. Hopefully, I mean, there's clearly one big mystery that's going on at the moment, right? I mean, yeah, but would would Guillaume's last adventure be who killed the Carmine Beast? Uh, I don't know. Uh, it yeah, doesn't. We'll get to it this. didn't feel epic enough to me. No, we'll get to this a little later, I suppose. But maybe you're right. Um, yeah, I, I, yeah. I, I don't know. I think this is a fun tease, and I hope Lucy gets a chance to go chat to her her mentor and just sort of ask him point blank. Yeah. So uh, as we've already seen, uh, Lucy kind of jumps into the uh, to the conflict. Daniel slips away. Lucy gives chase, uh, thinking about how Daniel has no hope for the future. Uh, grim. Um. Yeah. I, I mean this this moment where Lucy puts the thought together about Verona because of like Daniel and his singing. Like it's just, it, it's so good. I mean, as a follow up to sort of Daniel's chapter, like so much of Daniel's chapter to me was just this beautiful prose and seeing it now from the other side where, you know, he's doing all his shit and, and doing his singing and it leads Lucy down this thought journey that ends with her being like, Oh shit! Verona will totally turn herself into a cat to get away from her dad. Like that is, mm -hmm. she is going to do that. Mm -hmm. Um, it's it's such a great moment. Like us getting to see Lucy put that thought together step by step is amazing, and the the writing was so good there. Mm. Yeah, it's good, isn't it? Uh, yep. Um, so yeah, now Lucy's uh got got some stuff figured out, which will hopefully help. Yes, yeah, so there's going to have to be a conversation uh, between Lucy and Verona next time there's a chance, and Avery will probably get dragged in and get the old, wait, you knew uh, from Lucy, mm. uh, which should be fun. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, this whole this whole fight in the woods after they escape, or after as they're chasing Daniel through the cave, is 
very fun. Like Daniel and Marissa are both using glamour all over the place. Uh, Lucy and John are trying to get weapons out and not succeeding. Mm. Daniel just fucking munches on Marissa for a bit. Uh, like this is this is a great section. <laughs> yeah, uh, good stuff. Um, yeah, no, it's a good little it's a good little set of scraps that we see across this chapter and the next chapter, actually. True, um, true, yeah. But yeah, so yeah, and then yeah, you're right. That morose, that morose way to end it with, um, hey, Daniel's a lot like Verona. Hey, Daniel has no hope for the future. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a grim ending, huh? Um, but yeah, that's where it ends. That's where uh, this chapter ends. We leave Lucy's head for a bit, and we go to Verona's head for five point two. Um, so we're back with Verona, who is still with Matthew and Edith, heading to track down the skeptic. Kind of. Yeah, they get they get a bit confused about that throughout the chapter. I think we'll talk about it at the end because I, I saw you had a, a question about it later in the notes. But um, the tension here is just sort of like again, wait, Lucy was sort of like, oh, I don't like leaving Verona alone with these two, and then we jump into Verona's head. And Verona's like, I don't know that I like being left alone with these two. Um, <laughs> yeah, there are a few beats of her really not trusting Matthew and Edith throughout this chapter. Um, yeah, I think rightfully, I mean, I don't know, Matthew hasn't done anything to, to, uh, not earn our trust, but having said that, uh, the doom also potentially is going to come to a head soon, which is kind of scary in this chapter specifically, Matthew warrants caution. Um, yeah. And obviously Edith has been someone we highly suspect, uh, for a bit now. So, I mean, I, I get it. And there's just this constant tension between the Kenneteers and Matthew and Edith um, that I keep feeling like we make progress on, but then it just like, you know, it just doesn't fix things. Mm. Um, so yeah, yeah, like we're obviously just sitting here and Veronica's just tense because she wants to be on task, but she also needs to make sure that Edith and, and Matthew aren't just driving her out the back to, you know, trap her or something. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, I, I think it's good. A, a positive of this is Verona realizes she is not at her best when she is alone. She's she she knows she's kind of learned now that that being part of the trio really elevates her, um, which is good. She's being broken out of that kind of loner Verona type of pattern of thought that she's been in. Yeah, like this does. It feels like an important moment, but it's interesting. Like in general, like or at first, I was like, oh, this is a positive. Like. Verona is is realizing how important human connections are to her and and you know that that she's not alone uh but like we sort of see how she's thinking about that later in her nightmare um mm. that that we'll touch on but like it, you know it, it's again like everything is still framed in terms of her dad so there's still she's sort of like oh I'm I'm happier when I'm with them but there's still this lack of faith that she can be happy in general with relationships like this, I guess. I don't know. I'll, I'll talk about it with the nightmare. Like, cause that's obviously, there's a lot to talk about there. Mm. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Fair enough. Um, and then we get this great line, a body hit the roof and immediately <laughs> things go to, up to 11 because you're like, what the fuck? Suddenly we're under attack again. Um, but no, it just turns out to be this time Alpi. Um, and and this is the second instance in these two chapters of an ally kind of unintentionally attacking 
the group and making them kind of panic about what's what's going on. Um, am I yeah, being a tinfoiler or is something going on here? No, rule of three. Rule of three. Let's see what happens for the next one. Yeah. Um, I... I mean, because I, I did have a different read on this one. Like, I do think Alpi's just a bit of a dumbass mm. and didn't realize this was a problem, uh, especially after a conversation with Matthew. But you're right that now we have two instances in a row of Kenneth allies showing up to the Kenneteers and just, like, scarring them in the process. Um, and that seems like a bit of a indicator on, like, what the relationship is between those three and the others of the town right now. Mm. as well as possibly setting up a three-beat that may not be fun. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe it's just a representation of the fact that the the Kennet others don't seem to be, uh, like, considering the Kenneteers or, or not on their side to an extent. Uh, I don't know. Um, good moves by Verona in response, though. She does a quick Rivali's Gale and, and saves herself as a cat, which, okay, which is wild because... On my first read, I didn't even realize that she had turned into a cat. And mm. the word cat doesn't appear. It's she just she blasts herself with Rivali's Gale into the air, lands, and we get this this blink and you'll miss it kind of moment where she lands with all four paws. And and until I, I saw that, I was like, wait, what you know? She just she just kind of saved herself. But no, she she turned into a cat. It's just such a an a second nature kind of thing for her that she doesn't even click that oh now i'll turn into a cat she just kind of does it immediately yeah she talks about oh i've been setting up my cape glamour to be like a thing and then she didn't actually process using it so i was kind of like oh um okay she chose to use the note instead yeah and i was getting ready to read into that and then it's just something like and i used my tail and i was like wait what um i mean yeah not only is this a fucking sick move um that she can like fall out of a truck and blast herself back in as a cat mm-hmm. um and do a cool cat cat scream in the in the meantime um but you're right like this confusion here is is used to highlight to us that uh verona can just sort of swish her cape become a cat and not even really think about it mm. which mm. is cool and concerning <sighs> yeah um yeah <laughs> it is it is concerning right i don't know um anyway with alpi now in tow the the gang starts to realize pretty quickly that things are off uh there's a lot of spirits and strange going ons that just shouldn't be here uh yeah yeah um and as well like verona manages to fit in asking about melissa uh quickly and it doesn't i mean melissa the melissa stuff is not going well yeah. Right, like this, it doesn't seem good. They're no. talking about her becoming a bit other. <laughs> well, she's not. Yeah, they say things like, "Well, the only way it's going to go really bad is if she's sitting alone in a room by herself practicing things forty times." But I'm sure she's not doing that. And I was very much like, "Oh, I see. Um, so she's doing that." <laughs> yeah, like she she's got a leg she can't walk on, and all of her friends have abandoned her. Yeah, so I'm no. sure she's got plenty of better things to do than sit in her room. And fucking dwell on the magic she witnessed. Like, yeah, oh. yeah. I, I'm worried about uh, where that Melissa stuff is going to go because she's not really an ally. I mean, she's not an enemy, but she's not an ally. She's kind of just a chaotic force. 
Yeah. I mean, well, there's one future where she's an ally to Verona. Well, um, true. If that's what Verona's looking for, then the nightmare future, definitely. <laughs> we'll get to that, I guess. Uh, um, yeah. I mean, we, I mean, that, that tells us a lot about how Verona thinks of Melissa, that, that, that nightmare. So we'll get, we should touch on that there as well. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so they're, they're kind of theorizing that the Gilded Lily is around and is kind of causing trouble just unintentionally with a wake of magic items as she goes but i we kind of know i think that it's actually griggs like going around taking down protections and we see that later on i think confirmation that yes there's some stuff going on with like you know magic items that might be pulling in others or whatever but um but most likely it's griggs just kind of taking down the protections that have existed for kenneth for a long time yeah, I mean, there seems to be some confusion here in the characters that is passed on to us as readers, because mm. there's just a number of moments where they're like, oh, this is probably the lily, oh, although maybe it's not, mm. and then I, I think this is all built around the fact that these spirits are pouring in with seemingly more directionality than, like, you might expect, like, mm. they're coming in a lot, a lot faster than you would think. Um, and is that, is that Clementine? Is that the Carmine Beast? Is it something else? Like maybe Kenneth has just had the perimeter for so long that, you know, it's like if you open up a thing with a vacuum, like the air gets sucked in stronger. Um, I, yeah, I don't know. Like it's, it's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I feel like we're still not hundred percent sure of what exactly was the case but i think we we more or less know that regardless of what is causing you know almost certainly there's some magical item drawing things in but also sharon's uh messing with stuff to an extent that is causing problems yeah yeah it definitely feels to me like they don't actually go near clem they just keep thinking they do and i'm just curious why that was happening yeah um so yeah, the group kind of comes across in their travels a strange old man, and a fight breaks out with Rona kind of exposing herself to give some power to Alpi before they scrap. Well, I, doesn't that happen after? Am, am I confused? It, it doesn't. It doesn't matter. I mean, Maybe I'm this guy is... I thought it was before such during the fight. I think I thought it was towards the end, but right. I mean, it doesn't matter. Either way, this guy is very spooky. Um like he's got that sort of terminator vibe where they just can't seem to quite stop him mm. um but that sort of paled in comparison to just alpi turns into uh, like a fucking tasmanian devil whirl of black ooze with multiple arms coming out of it <laughs> like it's full horror monster horror movie monster shit she just starts pulling here yep and verona doesn't even blink <laughs> yeah verona's really just rolling with the punches I don't think we talked about how like Verona thinks a lot about her sight uh, early on. Well, actually, mm. just throughout this whole chapter, because mm. um, we sort of open with her sight, sort of showing her that the town, you know, it's all it's all wrapped in a plastic wrap and stuff. But it's like the town has this sort of beating heart that you know is beating very strongly. Which yeah. I, I I wonder exactly what that symbolizes. Mm. I mean, maybe with the things about like the common beast's fur being moved it's brought his or it's her the common beast was her is that right yeah um, yeah brought her uh like emotional influence and and kind of violence aura a lot more to the surface i guess 
I, I, yeah, I'm not sure too much either. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I do like that as well as just a way to set up because what we start to see is Verona like loses access to her site as they get closer to Sharon. Um, and obviously Verona uses her site probably more than anyone. Yeah. Uh, and, and so it's like she actually starts to get trapped in the dark um, mm. as, as they're trying to like get through this forest, which just doesn't happen to her and sort of shows exactly the effect Sharon has on, on people. Yeah. Uh, and also, obviously, uh, as Verona kind of points out, Sharon represents a, a, a slide back to the normal, terrible world, right? Um, so yeah. Verona kind of becoming more and more human as she has to confront Sharon in a way is is great. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's That's her worst nightmare, right? Is Well, yes, to... literally, is just being a, a <laughs> yeah, person. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, speaking of worst nightmares, yeah, so this man almost grabs Verona before Alpi pulls her into safety uh, through the nightmare dimension, <laughs> and Verona has a horrifying nightmare, and it is grim. Ooh, is it? Yes. Uh, let's let's count all the ways that it's terrible. So one, Verona as a you know mid twenty something uh, young woman, I think ish. I think uh, is, like like almost straight up twenty. Like just like right. you know, yeah, um, yeah. Uh, still stuck living with her dad. Uh, no longer in contact with Lucy or Avery. Uh, m- seems to be actively sabotaging any attempts to befriend her or pull her out of this slump, both with Lucy and with Jeremy and theoretically anyone else. And is also a drug addict, which I, I I was I was curious as if it was a metaphor for the practice in some way, but I didn't I didn't have anything tangible there. I I read it as more like so. This is Verona's worst nightmare, and I think Verona's worst nightmare is being a burden like that, yeah. just of any form. Like that's that's what her dad has sort of instilled her with is this need to not be a burden, and that's sort of how drug addicts are often viewed as like burdens on society right because you know it's sort of like her dad is telling her to get a job and mm. she doesn't have a job she's just going out there with melissa and, and and doing drugs and she's she's not contributing to society uh in in this vision mm. so that's sort of where it came into it for me it's it's just a way to sort of highlight this this sense that verona is yeah a burden on society from her point of view in this nightmare mm. um and and she she talks about that a lot with like you know apparently Jeremy's still into her like Lucy tries to yes. reconnect with her and Verona doesn't want to drag them down with her but she's also not able or willing to pull herself up mm. and the fact that even her dad can call her out on that which first of all like pot calling the kettle black <laughs> um but like the the fact that even her dad is like you know you need to get your shit together I think is just like worst case scenario for verona which is it, why it's it helps in this sell it doesn't it if even verona's dad thinks you're a, a low life you're really in trouble <laughs> although to be fair i think he, I, I bet he thinks that about a lot of people i, I don't know yeah, if true. he's the most self-aware he's judge is dude he? yeah um and then obviously like the fact that it's melissa here i i think almost says more about what verona thinks of melissa right now than than anything else like mm. M- melissa sort of echoed some of these sentiments with with like um you know with her leg and stuff of feeling like a burden yes what a what a burn on melissa though in my worst nightmare i'm your friend (laughs) (laughs) ouch friend no yeah it, it is kind of it's obviously tragic but i also kind of had this vibe of like it's so obviously terrible and over the top terrible that it 
it feels unrealistic to me that Rona would ever end up end up like that. And so I kind of I'm hopeful that this is a way for her to be like, okay, this is what I'm afraid of, but look at how ridiculous that is, you know? Yeah, well, I mean, it's, it's meant to be a nightmare. It wasn't meant to be like a, a prophecy, um, but it it still affects her because like she she feels this. Like she even has that slip up after she gets out of almost saying that she's twenty, mm. um, and 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 so like I I think that really reinforces how much Verona actually lived this. This wasn't just something she sort of saw. This was something she really felt, mm. uh, and. Yeah, as you say, like hopefully that like that is a tool for her to sort of be like, oh shit, like you know these these are issues that I am not dealing with, like fully. You know, do I need to think about this? And hopefully that does not take the form of cat now. Um, hopefully that takes the form of uh talking to people about this and and saying, hey, am I a burden? Mm. Uh, yeah. Especially because, like, you know, this was originally used in or talked about in the context of Verona's dad, right? Was it Arc 2 where Verona was maybe willing to let Alpi give her dad nightmares in order to kind of help him to learn? Or that was the debate about whether it would actually help. Yes. And, and uh, I guess now we're, yeah. we're going to practice that on Verona. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So hopefully it does help. I'm cautiously optimistic that Verona will be able to use this as a as a self-reflective tool. Mm. We shall see, I suppose. Hard to know. Hard to know how much this affected her. Like, obviously mm. she's clearly affected immediately afterwards, but it's hard to know what kind of lingering effect this is going to have. Yeah, how much, because especially, like, if it is, like, a real dream, I mean, I often forget my dreams within two minutes of waking up. You know? Like, how... <laughs> Yeah. Uh, what lasting impact will this have? Uh, you're right. It's going to be very interesting to see. Yeah. Um. So yeah, Verona. While Verona's off in her nightmare land, the other others are able to kind of pin down this ghoul and kind of semi bind it and send it off. Hopefully, it's a little bit ambiguous whether they actually achieve their goal of getting rid of it in a way that they want to. I didn't get the vibe they did. It didn't feel like a win. He, mm. Matthew's just sort of like, hey you're going to go away. And the ghoul's like, yeah, but you're going to owe me a favor. Matthew's like, no. And then the ghoul just sort of runs off, not in the direction of the exit. <laughs> so it's just kind of like, okay, I guess that didn't go well. Um, yeah. But Verona and Matthew barely even sort of seem to react. They just sort of immediately, I guess, go into, we need to get Sharon. Well, yeah, because she is kind of, by being around, just continuing to cause more and more vulnerabilities, right? Yeah, she is the core of the problem. I'm not. I'm not arguing that it's not the tactical play. It's just. Um, it's interesting how she. The, this guy runs off in kind of the direction of Alpi and Edith, and uh, they're both like, "Well, anyway, moving mm. on." Yeah. <laughs> um. Yeah. So. So. I. I want to touch on. I mean, Matthew does his best kind of. I'm Lord of Kennet play here but it doesn't seem to be very convincing right it doesn't convince this ghoul at least uh yeah it um it, it, it i i feel like this is very you know, symbolic of like just what we've been witnessing since miss left which is matthew and edith have kind of stepped into this role of trying to manage the town and they're just not a good fit Mm. um on pretty much any axis and and this is just a a a tangible example of that being the case i think Mm. yeah 
I, they, they're doing okay, but it's just not enough, right? I mean, we see Matthew when he sees the broken barrier stuff and it just, he doesn't seem to know what to do about it, you know? Like, it just seems like, oh, this is fucked and Miss was the one who got this all working, so we're fucked. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, and can we, can we talk about the Charles stuff here as well? Because basically one mm. of the things that gets dropped is that Charles helped set up all this warding 10 mm. years ago. Mm. Um, which is again one of these other little insights. Verona calls us out. It's our little insight into this into formation the, of Kennet. Yeah, the mystery stuff. of the history of Kennet. Yeah, which just feels like it's going to be a big thing at the the end reveal. We'll get some insight into how the how the the mob formed and and the, yeah. the secrets relating there. But um, is it's just two like it, it's sort of two times in this this week's chapters that Charles came up. Like he comes up here as having been instrumental in setting up the warding of the town. Um, and then Matthew also mentioned earlier, oh, um, it has been fun teaching you with like all the stuff I can remember and all the stuff Charles has been helping me piece together, mm. which that line originally jumped out to me as very odd that Charles would need to help him piece together stuff as opposed to just being able to tell him. Mm. Um uh, yeah, I don't know. I I feel like we need to have a chat with Charles. Like it, it, he just keeps coming up as like, oh, he was integral for doing this. Oh, he's very yeah, important. Yeah, we haven't had a good. This. We haven't had a good opportunity to sit down with him, have we? Yeah, like I'm just becoming more and more suspect of him every time somebody kind of is like, oh yeah, Charles was very critical for doing X Y Z, and that we just haven't seen him for arcs. Yeah, yeah, you're right. He's kind of taken a back seat when he shouldn't because he's. Uh, very suspicious. Yeah, um, I'd be tracking down Charles to have a chat with him if I was if I was a Kenneteer. Yeah, um, we don't we don't. I didn't realize this until before, but the stuff with Matthew and how vulnerable he is specifically to the skeptic in the sense of kind of weakening his hold over the doom and allowing it to escape. Like, oh shit, that's so bad. <laughs> like. We're obviously seeing, you know, we saw Guillaume's being accelerated closer to death. His relationship with Mariska has been messed up by by the conflict with Daniel. Sharon's messed up the protections around Kennet. Like, these tenants are having some serious impacts. And I think seeing Matthew maybe not die, but be, like, severely affected by the doom escaping, uh, uh, that feels like a, an appropriate level of impactful for, for this trio to cause. Yeah. Yeah, like, as, as you sort of say, um there's going to be long-term consequences for all this, regardless mm. of how the actual, how we get rid of the, of the, the tenant trio. Mm. Um, the Matthew stuff is funny as well. Cause I didn't think of that either until like Edith started jumping earlier in this chapter. And I was like, Oh yeah, shit. Of course. Like not only is the doom being weakened, but like, so is the warding that's keeping it in. That's not good. Matthew should maybe not be here. Mm. Um, I think we actually got insights. Was it earlier? Lucy, commented on like how they had been doing uh like observation of of matthew and edith in particular before they left and they noticed like matthew was able to use his doom and it wasn't it wasn't a nice thing like you know he was he was much more violent than like edith who might be able to sort of use her spirit powers to convince spirits to come with them or go away matthew was sort of the hammer um Mm. yeah yeah, like I, I don't know what my read is on Matthew right now. He's 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 all over the shop, but I just want him away from Sharon because the last thing we need is this doom getting out. Mm. Yeah, yeah, it'll be rough. Um, yeah, and and so this is the bit where Matthew and Verona also start to talk about 
what's going on like why are so many spirits coming in are they being pulled by clem that doesn't quite make sense it doesn't really fit the pattern i feel like even if we assume the carmine beast is accentuating who she is it feels like too many to be getting pulled in mm. so what um yeah i like i wonder what else is going on is this a thing where when you break the perimeter and you open a hallow does more stuff flood in did we talk about that with Nicolette? I feel like that sort of thing came up with Nicolette's hallow in mm. her, in the side of her head. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I, maybe. Yeah, I don't know. My only other thought was that maybe whoever has like the Carmine Beast's fur is helping it along. Like, you know, the Carmine Beast's effect of, of like enhancing Clem or something is actually being like revved up by whoever has the furs mm. or even you know whoever has the furs sees this as a perfect opportunity to cause some strife that will cover for them moving it or doing whatever they need to do you know yeah yeah maybe they had people waiting on the outside and they're using like these are all people coming in who are working with the the people who mm. killed the carmine beast mm. Mm. Interesting. Um, yeah, so Matthew and Verona are continuing on and they find a lot of the protections that existed for Kennet have been completely dismantled. Things are getting worse. Matthew decides to turn back because the doom is going to be too much for him um, as Verona continues on to confront Sharon and the police. <laughs> I love... So, Ver, like, we, we don't get the specifics, but Ro- Verona basically asks Matt to tell her a bunch of stuff, which I feel like is this beat that's setting up a cool thing Verona's going to get to use next time we see her, where she gets to say to the police, oh, I was told X, Y, Z. Yeah. Um, I, I have no idea what her angle would be there, but I'm I'm very excited to maybe see that next, because I think it's going to be really fun Yeah. if Verona has prepped herself with alibis that she mm-hmm. can throw into conversations without lying. Yeah, definitely. It's a good it's a good trick, the old I was told. So I look forward to seeing Verona utilizing it. Um yeah, I I mean just again, it's so masterful the way that Wabo has tied Sharon and what Sharon represents into Verona's kind of distaste for normalcy and obsession with, you know, escapism. Um just great stuff. Yeah, I mean, the thing is, Verona is going to have to confront her as her human self. As you say, that's so good. Mm. Um, you know, Daniel is going to force Lucy, I guess, to confront a lot of her own stuff as well. Like, we, we didn't sort of talk about that. Like, you know, it's confronting a lot of her stuff with Verona, with someone who is a victim, but maybe needs to be stopped. Um, and then I can't wait to see where Avery and Clem end up. Mm-hmm. Hopefully yeah, just sure. as, as best friends. <laughs> Hopefully. Um, so, yeah, uh, that's the end of 5.2. But, of course, we get our extra material on Gobos and Feifeis, uh, where A. Kelly and S. Drop take notes on the different Fey courts. <laughs> uh, that really sets the tone for how fun <laughs> this extra material is going to be when S. Drop is, yeah. uh, is so listed good. as an author, a co-author. Yeah. <laughs> it's 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 great it's classic the art in this this bonus oh so this extra material is a very good as well because uh, like there's not just the little avery doodles which are always a treat um but mm. like each fairy court gets its own like fancy logo thing mm. and they're all very cool like 
I hope after Pale, there's this huge boost of like material for stuff like packed dice, because like what we need is you know big dock and all the the fairy courts with like these logos mixed in and stuff. Yeah, yeah, it's it's cool. It it definitely gives. I mean, it helps build out, and that's what these bonus materials are so good for. It helps build out the feeling of this world, right? There's so much. There's just so much stuff. Um, yeah, it, well, like it's a deep, yeah, it, a rich, it, deep world, you know. It, w- there's always so much more than what we're seeing is the vibe I just constantly get, particularly in these extra materials. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I think this one's more or less an extension or summary of things that we already mostly knew, but I especially love in this section Toad Swallow's interjections with his read on each of these courts. I, yeah, because it was hilarious to me that he has reads on all these courts. Mm-hmm. Like, how insane is it that he's apparently so well-traveled he has met and visited so many of these courts. Like, that was that was a big what-the-fuck moment for me. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah, what's your read on, on these fairy court things? Yeah, I'd spent too long sort of trying to, pe- like, think about all the fairy courts and what they might mean and everything, and I don't think I've fully cracked it yet, but, like, it was a lot of fun to sort of think about what, what the courts might be representing. Mm. Mm. Yeah. 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 Um I, I like the fake courts. I think they're it's a very cool I mean the core idea of the fairy as the storytellers, you know, and, and Wabo taking, hey, what are these kind of I mean, literally fairy tale esque stories and how can <laughs> they be turned into the basis the bases bases of different societies, I think is a very cool uh, setup yeah yeah well I, I think it's a really interesting hybrid of actual fairy lore like i did a bit of digging for by this and it almost turned into one of the the bonus bits that we we kind of haven't done for a while mm. um like a, a sort of monster court on fairy because they you know they have courts traditionally often it's only two like it's there's like seely and unseely um mm. which is basically like light and dark um courts uh and there's there's all sorts of stuff there, and and I think this is always the coolest part of the other verses when Wabo takes that existing lore and puts that extra layer of, you know, other verse meaning and and symbolism behind it. Mm. Mm. Like, um, if you look at the courts here, the the like the so I guess how I view the fairy is they're sort of the what was the phrasing that was used recently? It's like they're they're the pretty lies we dress ourselves up in. Yeah, like they're sort of the embodiments of yeah, like the lies we tell ourselves, the stories we tell. Um, and like the spring court is all about like, well, the high ones all about like aristocrats and and um, like kings and and lords and nobles and stuff. And then the lower one is like celebrities, but they're both like so. It's kind of like the I, I always see the high courts as being like more traditional and more like human oriented um whereas the 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 dark ones are always more like subversive or less you know traditionally human Mm. um so with spring you've got the high one which is all like aristocrats and lords and then you've got the low one which is like hollywood celebrities and that sort of new the the new money fame basically Mm. And, and i almost i'd almost summarize like the spring courts as dealing with the lies we tell about society i don't know like a, yeah. or how how we how we fit together. It's about building like false hierarchies of people. Mm. Like we raise celebrities up, or we raise you know 
monarchies up or whatever and that's all really bullshit we're all people but um we create stories about how some people are are better than others or higher up yeah okay i can see it i like it and then and then the summer courts anyway gilamaze is all like greek hero shit and the the lower summer one is all like monsters and stuff Mm. so i kind of had that one written down as like the lies we tell about the world and mm. how that would, like, you know, when you dress up the world as, as particularly heroic or particularly monstrous, like, you know, just trying to make make the world seem cooler and better than it is. Make make out like there's these true heroes who are out there defending us from big monsters and, and all that bullshit, you know? Mm. Yeah. Okay. I, I, uh, I don't think it connects as strongly, but I think it still works. Yeah, I, I feel like what I'm missing from my thing for the fairies like so i feel like there's these sort of three types of court and then winter is you know dead um and what i'm missing is like some sort of core like psychology psychological theory about like oh you know the three made up parts of society are like you know the hierarchy the the people and then for fall for fall i sort of had it as like the lies we tell about ourselves or whatever Mm-hmm. Um, it's all about like transformation, exchanging stuff. So I, I bet the missing piece that I need is sort of like trying to figure out what what the three represent. I wonder if if anybody out there has any ideas, hit us up. Mm. Mm. Yeah, post your theories in the in the <laughs> uh, the discussion thread, I suppose. Um, yeah. A- anything else we want to touch on for the Fay Courts? I think that was pretty comprehensive. Yeah. Yeah. No, I. I don't know. Yeah, I feel like I'm close to figuring them out, but I'm not quite there. If anybody, if anybody has made those connections, let us know. Mm. Mm. Yeah, let us know. Um, so yeah, next, uh, Avery tries unsuccessfully to understand and categorize goblins. I mean, the comedy of this section is just fantastic. Mm. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's so good, isn't it? Um, goblins are... They continue to be the best part of the other verse. The 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 twist at the end of this little bit is so good. Um, yeah, like, and I think I really like it because if fairy are the pretty lies we dress ourselves up in, um, uh, like, and goblins are. I think the term used recently was ugly truths of humanity. Like, they're they're sort of the the gross things we don't want to confront about ourselves. Um, it kind of makes sense that goblins can't really be categorized because I don't think people can really be categorized Mm. um like i think the way humans try to label themselves is is a very constructed thing um and that's probably why the fairy are in seven courts like i'd actually be willing to bet fairy chase labels um like even if they want to have that label to subvert it it it, like it it helps to be categorized in one of these seven courts whereas like the goblins they just don't give a shit like they're just themselves and it doesn't matter what you call them um it's like the opposite of being labeled isn't to be unlabeled or to be out like to have because that just means you're like a different label it's Mm. to just actually not care or give a shit and just to change it constantly Mm. yeah yeah (laughs) i love goblins so much i love this stuff about their titles Mm. and like how their names evolve with like their power level Mm. yeah isn't that cool like they just get more and more i guess notorious is the word right the the goblin power level is based on kind of notoriety of how 
how well you've managed to carve out a niche for yourself, sometimes literally. Well, and because I can't help but think, like, why would Wabo introduce this concept to us unless maybe we're going to see one of our goblins move up the pecking order? Oh, interesting. And Toad Swallow seems like the obvious candidate. Toad Swallow, the polite, or whatever. <laughs> well, like, I think the example used is like Meat Grinder, the eater of all grandpas. Like, it has to be gobliny and gross. So, yes. Uh, Toad Swallow, CEO. <laughs> I like that. That's very good. Like, yeah, uh, yeah. Like, to, like, again, Toad Swallow just continues to fascinate me. Like this extra material in particular focuses on Toad Swallow as somebody who has like traded in a lot of the markets of the fairy. Like he's such a business savvy individual, and I can't mm-hmm. wait to see where that's heading. I, yeah. I, I just can't quite piece it together for some reason. But like, it's I can't. Yeah, I can't wait for it. I'm going to feel mm. like an idiot when it comes together, but I can't wait. Mm. Yeah. <sighs> um, yeah, I, I just, a great bonus material. I thought it was really good. Really enjoyed it. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, same. This this was very, very fun. Just sort of lore with character color mixed in. Um, yeah, it's great. Mm. Um, yeah, cool. Uh, but that's the end of the <laughs> chapters, I guess. Sorry, I've just got it open again, and just Avery's last or second last sentence is, "I wasted so much time on this." Yep, <laughs> goblins are so frustrating. I love it. Yeah, poor thing. Uh, don't try and categorize them; won't work. Um, yeah, <laughs> but uh, that's so. That's all our chapters for today. Mm. Yeah, um, but of course, that's not the end of the show. We still got to visit some predictions from the community left in our pale predictor uh, spreadsheet. Uh, yeah, so what have you got for us, Ruben? Uh, well, honestly, I think both of our predictions are fairly similar here, which is because uh, yeah. I, th- I think the 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 hearts of the community has really been taken up with Gillamay, especially lately, um, and his death and that and his relationship with Marisica, with the way that the Daniel chapter went down. Um, so I we both put out, I think, like most of the chapters that were left, uh, most of the predictions that were left this week were about this. Um, so, uh, yeah, mine was from a user called Philipperol who pulled out a theory, uh, basically something that we'd kind of touched on and, and talked around, but the relationship between Marisica and Guillaume being much more friendly than we first thought and, and symbiotic, right, uh, with Marisica intentionally kind of making mysteries and stories in an attempt to stop him from eventually falling to winter. Um, so theoretically even going so far as Marisica having done the Carmine Beast stuff, not to get the letters we first thought, but as a as a way of kind of def- desperately trying to prolong Guillaume's life by keeping him entertained, I guess. Yeah, well, uh, so the prediction I pulled by Deku Sola uh, even went so far as to suggest that Marisica is wanting to turn Guillaume into a Carmine, well, the Carmine like, giant or the mm. Carmine fairy in mm. an attempt to prevent him from falling to winter, mm. which I thought was interesting because I very much got the impression this is a a role without much flexibility or whatnot. Like, I, I wonder how different that is to falling to winter to a, to a fairy. Because, mm. um, you know, it, like it, the other candidates are people like John who kind of live this uh, very routine life already, you know? Mm-hmm. But anyway, just, I mean, just the idea that Marisica is fucking actually Guillaume's buddy or whatever and wants to put him 
in that position was just something <laughs> I had never even considered. It's bonkers. I love it. Yeah, I love this. I mean, I, I was I was also going to pull out a prediction about how Guillaume, um would become Lucy's familiar as another potential way to stave off his descent, which would only work for a while, but whatever. Um, I just... the Everyone's been so captured by Guillaume, and I'm, I'm worried that it's just everyone trying to deny the fact that Guillaume might not last that long in this world. <laughs> yeah, we're all desperately I should say. holding on. Wait, yeah. Oh yeah, if Marusica is actually his friend and wants to turn him into the Carmine Beast, then that means he doesn't die, so this is a good theory. Mm. Um, yeah, I, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I could actually see Marusica turning Guillaume into the Carmine successor as a cruel thing to do because like you know if it is a r- routine based role um Guillaume somehow being trapped inside it might actually be even worse than being in the winter court because mm-hmm. at least in the winter court they get to continue to live out their fairy patterns in this one he would be even more restricted to this role mm. yeah yeah <sighs> oh i'm gonna miss Guillaume. Once mm. he dies, once he dies, because his final mystery is the Carmine beast, and then when they solve it, he's dead. <laughs> ah, nah. Um, all right. So, uh, if you have a prediction and you want to uh, get featured on the show, I guess if that's your goal, you can check out the Pale Predictor uh, spreadsheet link in the link in the show notes links down below. Um, yeah, we actually just added a new category to mm-hmm. that. Uh, predicting spreadsheet, which is who at the Blue Heron Institute is helping Bristow. Yes. Um, trying to get some of those school and Bristow-related theories, uh, you know, giving them their own space to shine. So uh, hit us up with any school or Bristow-related stuff uh, there. Yeah. Um, cool. Uh, yeah. Uh, I, so I guess before we wrap up as well, just a note, we did a discussion question in our last episode, but that episode came out halfway through the week, so we wanted to give a little bit more time. So we'll still be running that discussion question this week, so you still have time to get your answers in. Uh, that discussion question is, should Avery tell Clementine the truth about the world? Would you? Yeah. And, um, you know, obviously Matthew said a big fat no uh, is his answer this mm-hmm. week. But, um, I mean, what does he know? Like you know yeah. he's getting lessons from Charles, so yeah, can't be that good. Yeah, uh, we shall see. Um, so uh, yeah, uh, that's the end of our show though for this week. <laughs> um, thanks for joining. If you have uh, predictions, leave them in the, the the sheet. If you have answers to the discussion question or thoughts on the chapter in general or the show, you can leave those in our discussion threads, which again will be linked down in the links down below the episode in your podcatcher. Uh yes. Uh we're also available on the Twitter at Media MD Podcast. Uh the live reads will be resuming there now that I'm back, although I think my work schedule's about to change, so the live read schedule may also be changing. But uh if you're interested in knowing more about that, the Twitter is the place to be. Yeah. Um and I guess you should check out doofmedia.com if you want to support all the other great shows on the Doof Media Network. Uh, shows such as Do the Right Thing, a great uh, weekly writing challenge uh, show where uh, you're challenged to write a, a short story with uh, prompts and then, uh, you know, discussion of those stories takes place. Yes, and then you get to listen to Matthias and Jarvis talk about your story and 
that's great as well as just listening to Matthias and Jarvis talking. Yep. <laughs> 100%. Um, if you want to support any of the shows on the Doof Media Network, the best way is to become a patron. Go to patreon.com forward slash doofmedia and there are all kinds of little bonus tiers and rewards and all kinds of things that you can get access to if you are a patron. So go and check those out on patreon.com forward slash doofmedia. Yes, in fact, the $10 tier gets you access to bonus content uh, that's exclusive to people of that tier. And uh, Ruben and I are part of something that should be appearing on that hopefully this week. So, uh, you know, if that interests you, go check it out. Mm. Um, yeah. All right. Oh, actually, while you're on Patreon, why not head to patreon.com forward slash Wabo, where you can support Wabo, who, I don't know if you know this, but wrote uh pale and a bunch of other stuff yep definitely worth sending some funds his way if you can afford to because i mean we love this story we've loved all of his other stories uh and we don't want him to stop writing mm-hmm. yeah um but uh unfortunately that is where we have to stop recording because it's the end of our episode so um thanks for joining us and we'll see you next time for more back away probably uh presumably presumably